Welcome to the Fundraising Talent Podcast. I'm Kyla Daw, and I'm glad you decided to join us on today's episode of the show that is shaping how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent. Rather than advice from experts, our listeners want to hear the insights and ideas from those who, just like them, are on the front lines every day, building meaningful relationships that translate into meaningful support for causes that they and their donors care about. Every week, we invite our guests to have a real conversation about what it means to be a fundraising professional. We're after a greater understanding of what it means to be one of the sector's critically important yet least understood roles, while giving honest answers to our profession's most difficult questions. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Here's your host, author, fundraiser, and master trainer, Jason Lewis. Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Jason Lewis, and I am your host for the Fundraising Talent Podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I do want to thank our sponsor, QBAC. There's a big difference between a solution that measures a fundraiser's performance and a solution that helps a fundraiser perform. QBAC helps fundraisers to excel at their most critical task, developing deep, meaningful relationships with donors and cultivating them into lifelong givers. Give your fundraisers a better qualified portfolio, one that considers more than just capacity and simple scoring. Your fundraisers will also get insights into the hearts, minds, and connections of their donors. Fundraisers have a tough job. Help them close bigger gifts in less time by going to www.qback.com to schedule a free demo. Podcast listeners, the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow is finally back on the schedule. We have several dates confirmed. Since 2014, our team has been providing high-quality one-day roadshows in partnership with nonprofit leaders who want to showcase their space and provide thought-provoking and highly interactive fundraising training in their nonprofit community. Our roadshows have been described by our guest as hands-down the best professional development experience that they have ever been a part of. This experience has been described as challenging assumptions with conversation-inspiring content and new ways of thinking. If you would like to register for one of the upcoming stops on the Responsive Fundraising Roadshow, just visit the link in the show notes. Hi, Adam. I am delighted to have you on the Fundraising Talent Podcast. You and I have uh, gotten to know each other very little, a little bit. We could say we could probably use the term a little bit uh, throughout the, uh, perhaps throughout the pandemic, we've gotten to know each other sort of at a distance via uh, LinkedIn. Um, as the fundraising community, like I'm sure a lot of communities have sort of converged on that particular platform and others to create communities. So uh, I'm glad that we finally transitioned our conversation to uh, to a little more higher context. We're still not in the room, still not sitting in a diner sharing a cup of coffee, but we're a little bit closer to that. Um, so I'm delighted to have you here, Adam. Uh, how about before we dive into our conversation today, you just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. Uh, Jason, uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Really appreciate your work and um, great ecosystem over there at, at LinkedIn for, for learning uh, and sharing uh, freely, which maybe we'll talk about a little more. Uh, so, so my name's Adam. Uh, I'm in the Berkshires uh, on the east coast of North America here. And um, I currently uh, serve as development director for an organization called Jewish Studio Project, which uh, exists to advance the notion that creativity is a practice that can enhance every human's life, uh, and specifically can uh, can be a Jewish practice to um, to enhance the Jewish communal ecosystem as well. Um, and I'm happy to talk more about what we do, but I think. Today, we're going to focus kind of more broadly about talking about 
um, philanthropy and fundraising and, and, and some different ways of looking at it. Yeah, Adam. So we, uh, as you know, uh, and all of our listeners know, we ask our guests to come on here with a big idea, bold opinion. Um, usually I don't know the direction we're going to go. I don't even necessarily know what the topic is. I have a sense today where we're going to go. Um, it's a subject that, uh, that I'm particularly interested in, have spent some time, uh, familiarizing myself with in the last couple of years. Uh, where you want to take us today? Uh, well, Jason, uh, we, we just scratched the surface, uh, you and I starting to talk about the gift economy and really, um, the way I think about this is, is really about generosity. And I think that's so core to our, um, to our world working in philanthropy and fundraising. And it really represents an alternative way of thinking about, um, economics and really thinking about our relationships in the world, um, and, and what we're really here for. Um, so, so I, I'd like to kind of dig into that and we can have go deep right away. Yeah. So, uh, how about we start, Adam? So when you introduced yourself, you described the organization you work for. You were very, uh, you very specifically described your organization as one that sort of operates on the gift economy, which I thought was particular. As I read that last night, I thought, okay, this guy gets it. He's going to sort of uh, unravel this both. Perhaps we can have a conversation both in very practical terms, but also, um, you know, in be very theoretical terms as also, as well as very practical terms. So how about we start with the practical and you just describe what the gift economy means for the organization that you're working for? Yeah, well, let's just back up a little bit. I want to tell you a story about uh, some work that I was doing about 10 years ago when I was running a retreat center. And, you know, it was uh, there's a big fee for service model where people come through and pay for their experience. Um, and it was a not-for-profit organization as well. Uh, so there was quite a bit of philanthropy involved. But for the end user, uh, they were paying for their experience. And I thought to myself, what would it look like if folks just came and uh, everybody has something to give and everyone has something that, that they need or they're, they're looking for? What would that look like? So we tried that for a whole week. And it was really one of the richest and, and most uh, profound kind of programmatic experiences that I've ever um, um, been a part of. Uh, we had over 120 sessions uh, over that week, and it was just, you know, a cornucopia of, of, of giving. And people were just giving of themselves, and uh, they paid what they could. And the interesting thing is, it basically worked out to the same amount of revenue that we would have brought in uh, using a fee-for-service model, using that kind of more conventional exchange model. So now I'm with a Jewish Studio Project, and all of our public programs are offered free. Um, now, we're also uh, a, a not-for-profit organization that um, has a number of uh, philanthropic relationships that are, that are very productive, and uh, we believe that we exist to deliver our our mission, our methodology of creative practice, um, and we want to we want people to be fully invited into that. Um, so so it's not it's not an exchange kind of medium, um, which I think you know we can get into this a little bit more. 
But when we talk about um, exchange in the way that we normally think about economics in a capitalist system, um, it's that's really short-term thinking. Um, that's 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 where we are right in the present, and and not investing into the future really. Um, and so I think there's a different way of 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 thinking about um, the future that actually kind of unlocks something about about the gift. So I have been reading. Um... Her name's Davies. I, I've been reading a book. I, I, I keep repeatedly sort of referring to it sometimes on the podcast and others, several authors, both of which hail from Princeton, coincidentally. Um, and these are um, um, sociologists by training, but sort of have more of a uh, what we would sometimes call a an economic anthropologist sort of bent to them. So they sort of have a they sort of have their hands in in, you know, professionally or academically trained as sociologists, but understand economics and anthropology. And so that's sort of the convergence of ideas. And Adam, mm -hmm. what I have encountered with one of these authors, um, and I'll put, um, her name's Davis, I'll put, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, is she talks about how historically societies throughout history, I mean, all of human history have existed in sort of these different modes and um, she's she's hearkening us back to some of the uh, thoughts of Polanyi in mid-century, mid-20th century. But what she basically, to, to sort of wrap up this thought and hand the ball back to you, she talks about how we sort of exist in these repertoires of sort of human behavior and interaction. And one of them is what she calls sales mode, which is like the marketplace interaction. And one of them she calls gift mode, which is like what you all are talking about. And she's trying to draw our attention to the idea that these represent completely different ways of interacting. Like they're a whole different mode of interaction. It's not about the actual exchange of whatever the tangible item is, or if there's, you know, there's usually some perhaps some some currency involved but it's a different way of communicating you follow what i mean yeah absolutely i mean i i think um a fundamentally different way of thinking about things uh is offered uh when we, when we look at at the gift paradigm um another example that i would give in 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 um in my current work right now is uh giving tuesday so uh, we could we could really get into Giving Tuesday if we want to, but um, when we started thinking about Giving Tuesday just last year, um, we started thinking about doing something different. Um, what if Giving Tuesday was really about giving? Was really about generosity, not about receiving? Right? I mean, we're talking about uh, what what Vu Lee, I think. Uh, He's he would be credited with uh, coining the term the nonprofit hunger games. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You know, right? Like here, you have Giving Tuesday, and you've got thousands of organizations competing for 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 uh, you know mind share uh, and and heart share, trying to get folks um, involved in in their work philanthropically. But what if it was really about generosity? And so what that might look like um, would be what if what if each organization chose a different organization to direct their constituency towards and say, hey, check out what they're doing. 
support them today. Support them today. So, so Adam, uh, one of the th- this just occurred to me because I have mixed feelings, and I have for quite some time about Giving Tuesday. I've read um, Henry Tim's uh, book, who talks about Giving Tuesday and what the original intent was. And I have literally, and a lot of my listeners. Yeah. And readers of the first book, for example, know that I've sort of swung back and forth between my affections and disaffections for Giving Tuesday. But I, one of the things that just occurred to me as I was listening to you is perhaps the problem with giving, because I think that aspiration is there. And I think even Henry Timms and his co-founders, that was even part of the original intent. But I wonder if part of the problem, Adam, is the proximity with which Giving Tuesday happens on in relationship to, to, to the big sales Friday, what's it called? Black Friday? Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. yeah. Um, if it's really, if the problem with Giving Tuesday is, is that we've, we've pushed it so close to, it's in such proximity to this big, the biggest sales day of the year that it's really hard to turn off. Whether you're on the giving or receiving side, it's too hard to turn off those marketplace consumer like impulses. So, so, you know, you literally get, you know, you're exhausted with Thanksgiving, then you go out and you shop like crazy, you know, monster idiots or whatever on Friday. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to turn into generous human beings, you know, on <laughs> Tuesday after we sure. perhaps the football game on, you know, is, is that part of the problem that we have? That in in fact, maybe that's my biggest critique. Maybe that would be my biggest critique is that we have anchored Giving Tuesday only as this um, sort of way to make up for our our big consumer driven problem that we have three or four days earlier. Does that make sense? Sure. Well, uh, you know, I can think of two ways of thinking about this. If Black Friday is our starting point. And the, the, the corporations and, and the folks uh, creating these great products say, bye, 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 bye. Then you get to Giving Tuesday and you basically have all uh, of these great nonprofits, social benefit organizations saying, bye, 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 bye. Invest in us, right? But you said yourself, Black Friday follows what? Thanksgiving. Right. Thanksgiving. Right. Right. Yeah. So if Thanksgiving is our starting point, uh, then, you know, after the weekend and we digest our feasts and, and such, uh, we, might, we might take some inspiration there and say, how can I be more generous? How can I be more grateful for, for other people, for what other people are doing? And breaking out of that mindset, you know, you said it's too hard. Uh, you know, um, that's just an excuse. Of course, it's hard to break out of um, our, our, our normal ways of thinking, but everybody knows now. Everybody knows from business to the climate crisis to political uh, situations that we need disruption. We need to think differently. We need fresh uh, ways of, of being in the world. And if we don't do it, um, any short-term gain that we have now is for naught. It's just vapor and dust in the wind. Okay, so let's 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 get back to this gift economy thing because I, I I really want to honestly, Adam, I have been I have been knee deep, sometimes waist deep in some of this stuff over the last couple of years. We're buying every both contemporary author as well as several you know um, 
historically who've who've written in the past um, on this subject. And one of the I was I did a I did a workshop in Austin last week, and I I described the difference. And I'm I'm interested I'm interested to sort of see if this um, rather simplistic way of sort of distinguishing between a gift gift economy and a market economy and and how it relates to fundraising is helpful for for the way you think about this. So the way I explain it, Adam, um, I, I said, so you've got an iPhone, you've got an iPhone and in a commodity exchange, the relationship is between the purchaser and the iPhone. And that's where, and you exchange for the, the, the currency, whatever, like my son just bought himself a new iPhone and the relationship is between Jack, my son and the iPhone itself. And they exchanged, you know, uh, th- th- there was an exchange. I think my son paid a ridiculous amount of money for that for that damn phone. Whereas in the gift economy, it's like his grandmother giving him the iPhone and, and, and what is of significance is not the iPhone at all. And it's everything about the relationship that Jack has with his grandmother. And so, uh, you know, in a gift exchange, it's, it's not about what is the relationship is never about what is being exchanged. It's about the relationship between the two people that are doing the exchange. Whereas in a, in a commodity exchange, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the relationship that we have with, with, with stuff. And, and and my critique is, and I'm interested to see if 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 your if your critique would be similar to that. We have designed contem- contemporary fundraising practices to mirror the relationship that my son Jack has with the iPhone more than the relationship he has with his grandmother. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, philanthropy um, has evolved out of the system of massive wealth accumulation. Um, right. Some of our earliest philanthropists in the modern era were some of the most successful business people at accumulating enormous wealth, by the way, on the backs of other people. Right. You think about, yeah. uh, you know, the Carnegie's and the folks who built the railroads and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, however, philanthropy also represents an antidote. Right. These ways of being, these ways of thinking about generosity and about investment in the future, where your return on investment is social benefit, not more money, right? Uh, and why? Because a, a thriving future is good for everybody. If I'm Apple and I'm selling iPhones, but I really take seriously that climate chaos and economic instability is going to threaten my business, my self-interest, 20, 30 years in the future, that might make me think very differently about uh, about my product, right? And, you know, you used the example with the iPhone of, of, of your son's grandmother. I love that you did that. I'm reading a book right now uh, by Ari Wallach, just came out, it's called Long Path. Uh, and the subtitle is Becoming the Great Ancestors That Our Future Needs. Uh, and the sub-subtitle is An Antidote for short-termism. So really what we're talking about in philanthropy and especially in the gift paradigm around philanthropy is relationships over time. I'm investing in the future. I'm investing. It's it's related to my self-interest. Self-interest and generosity go hand in hand. If I understand that the only way that we can get it together is together, 
right? The only way that I can be successful is if we're all successful. That's anathema to the, to the philosophy of hard capitalism. And I'm not saying that this is a, you know, the opposite of capitalism, socialism, and all, all, all this stuff. No, no. I'm saying that there's a different way of thinking about um, what it means to be wealthy. <laughs> what's real wealth? What's true wealth? Um, and what's true self-interest? So if we start thinking in that uh, more ecosystem paradigm, organismic paradigm, where we're all part of one living being, right? Uh, the earth. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, this might sound far out or something, but really this is hard science. And I think that big business and big philanthropy understand this and they're, and they're increasingly understanding this. So we depend on each other to do well for all of us to do well. And that I think is where this strategy of generosity um, comes in as a path, uh, what Ari Wallach calls a long path, long-term thinking, uh, and some of, the, some of the habits of mind that can produce that. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you point out that people in the marketplace are becoming increasingly aware because I'm, you know, when I think about the number of authors that I'm reading or have been reading over the last several years, a lot of this inspired by sort of the punch in the gut that the uh, that the events surrounding, you know, during the pandemic and the events that happened in 2020. And I think about how uh, someone once told me, Adam, that the nonprofit sector t- tends to drift about two years behind the rest of the world, right? We adopt ideas. We sort of embrace things. <laughs> we sort of awaken to things. And to suggest that, for example, because I've heard uh, you, you talk about marketplace voices. So I've heard Seth Godin, for example, talking about the gift economy. He's done a, sure. you know, I, I've heard that, you know, and that guy's a marketing guru that a lot of us listen to, right? And, and yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, you know, is it is it because the the what I call the wizards, our gurus, our experts in in gurus, sort of hail from the marketplace, but they're also hailing from a what I oftentimes refer sort of a twentieth century, you know, way of seeing and understanding the world. That the idea of beginning to embrace the gift economy and more long term thinking and more relationship centered practices, um is really what our problem. I mean, you think about all the problems that guys like me and you might be stirring up. A lot of us are talking about this on social media. Guys like Vu are talking about this and all of our friends at 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 CCF are talking about this. But what you're basically talking about is is you're talking about what I think is sort of this evolution or this sort of this maturing of fundraising away from a consumer-oriented way of thinking to a more of a citizen way of thinking. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, I love that. It, and, and because with the concept of citizen comes the concept of duty, comes the concept of obligation, right? So there are yeah. ways to institutionalize generosity. They're a little bit out of fashion. You might think about tithing, right? There was a time in some cultures and still is where uh, it's a religious obligation to give. Uh, and, 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 and that doesn't work for everybody in today's era, but there is that sense of being a citizen. And maybe we've lost some sight of that because we talk too much about freedom and not enough about responsibility. But um, 
if you're a citizen, you have duties and obligations. And, and uh, just like we have the, uh, the ability uh, to participate in the marketplace, and in, in a certain sense, that's what's expected of us to, um, you know, to be uh, uh, world, world citizens today and, and how we vote with our dollars and, and all that kind of thinking. Uh, we also can conceptualize ourselves as having an obligation to participate in the philanthropy uh, ecosystem, where 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 generosity becomes again uh, an, an expression of of self interest, uh, an expression of uh, long term thinking, and 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 this is what we this is what we need. Um, you know, we talk, uh, especially in, in that in that CCF world and adjacent worlds. Um, you know, one of the, the phrases that we've seen come up in the last few years—not uh, development, not fundraising, but mobilizing resources, right? Resource mobilization. Yeah. I really like that. But yeah. I think that what we're actually doing is mobilizing generosity. The resources are inert. We need to mobilize generosity because this is built into the structure of the universe right? It's the necessity of caring for each other, of caring for the living world and treating each other with kindness and generosity. It is a necessity. And we are starting to really understand what that looks like. This isn't about um, being nice or just doing, um, doing something that, that, that feels uh, values aligned. This is a necessity. It's an obligation. Let's let's unpack that a little bit more. I want to make sure I get in between the lines for my own sake, for your sake and our listeners. When you say mobilizing generosity, Adam, you're talking about mobilizing human behavior. Absolutely. Am I right? That's right. That's right. We're not mobilizing the resources. Resources are just, they're inert. Yeah, right? they don't move. They don't move. Yeah. <laughs> Human beha- humans move. <laughs> humans. Yeah, right, right. And that's what we're talking about. You know, you, you write a lot and beautifully about relationships and the, the complexity. Uh, of of how we how we interact with each other in this ecosystem, uh, and 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 that's what we're doing. We're we're trying to inspire generosity in each other. And so one way, going back to this Giving Tuesday model, one way that we can do that is by modeling generosity. Right? If Giving Tuesday is really about giving, not just for the donors, not just for the those givers, right? But for the nonprofits themselves, for the social benefit organizations themselves to say this is fundamentally our our field is about giving it's about generosity so today and not every day because we have to we have to bring bring in revenue to make sure that we can accomplish our mission but today i want you to go look at uh this organization one of our partner organizations and go donate to them and imagine if even one percent of nonprofits did that how much resources would uh, would be flowing um, in in new and 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 potentially you know very generative ways um, because we've mobilized that generosity. Adam, you, you've got me thinking. You know, one of those as I have sort of begun to do these compare and contrast in some of my writing in the forthcoming book, the idea sort of differentiating between commodity exchange and gift exchange. It, it, in a lot of ways, it just comes down to competition, for example. And, and some of this 
you know, in a in a marketplace, in a traditional marketplace relationship, it comes down to who owns something, and it's it's a possession. I, you know, if I own this cup in my hand, you can't own it, and so it becomes a competitive um, environment. And if you think about the way like Black Friday works, you know, that's what we're all reminded of is almost like this competition of who can get to the do the department store faster to get these great deals. So it's a competition with the other consumers. But I, I think yeah, about they run each other over and they, they trample each other to death. Right, right. And I, I think about my own local give day. So we have a we have a local give day. They raise about three and a half, four million dollars a year, I think, pretty consistently now. But it is very competitive and it's a competitiveness between the organizations. So right now we have about 300 organizations involved. And I don't necessarily see, I don't think I see this more, I don't think it plays out as explicitly during Giving Tuesday because you can't necessarily see the sort of the, there's not a built-in ranking system, but some of these local Give Day sort of initiatives, they're assuming a marketplace sort of way of thinking, are they not? Of course, of course they are. And, you know, um, I don't know if you've you've seen some of these studies that, that look at, um, you know, our assumptions about uh, the, the, the more than human world, right? Because we talk about, oh, it's human nature. It's human nature to be competitive, to be greedy. Well, that's just one way of thinking about human nature, right? Uh, Thomas Hobbes wrote about nature red in tooth and claw. That's just what it is. It's blood and, 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 and that aggressive competition. Well, now scientists are finding out that in the short term, competition and violence wins. But in the long term, only the, it, 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 competition and violence only works within groups, within groups. But in the long term, between different groups, only altruism wins. Only the groups that look out for the other groups that actually have ecosystem kinds of relationships with other groups, those are the only ones that survive. So again, this is, this is about... Uh, Finding that antidote for short-termism, because that marketplace mentality uh, that includes, by the way, unlimited growth, which is the philosophy of cancer, right? That's what cancer is, unlimited growth, never stop growing. And if the cell never stops growing, it becomes cancerous, right? That's very <laughs> short-term. That's very short-term. Long-term is about how's the ecosystem doing and how are we supporting each other? You know, so, yeah. you, you know, Adam, nobody has set me up so eloquently. <laughs> I I have always wanted to sort of point out about sort of the way that I have always wanted to point out. I don't think I've ever pointed it out how this constant growth, this constant growth that nonprofit organizations have a habit of with this constant new donor acquisition names go into our databases you know, and we now have humanitarian organizations that have a global impact that are talking about essentially they've reached that point of sort of their own practices have sort of evolved into a cancer. I mean, it's going to ultimately cause their their programs to collapse. And I think it's because we've just you've got these databases chock full of relationships that have not manifest themselves through this gift economy because the gift economy can't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't, it's, it's that kinship group that you're describing, right? Gift economies work within smaller defined communities around whatever that 
sort of magnet is that sort of pulls them all together. But we've adopted this marketplace assumption that we can constantly grow it. And I think our databases, our CRMs, and the, and the size of our mailing lists are, are the biggest, biggest example of that. And then we have this, what I call sort of the marketability of generosity. I, I think we've actually taken the word general. I think the marketplace has taken the word generosity and, ter- and sort of commodified it. So we, we've turned it into the sort of this marketing. It's part of the marketing language to keep things like, uh, to keep the status quo status quo sort of going like like with giving tuesday as long as you keep telling if, as long as we keep telling ourselves and everyone else that we're all being generous then 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 some of these bad habits can continue to uh to flourish does that make sense yeah yeah and you know you, you're right there is a trap there because sometimes when we think about being generous again as i think i said earlier uh we think about being nice being magnanimous, right? Oh, I'm so generous. My ego feels good being so generous. Yeah. Right? But what if we thought about uh, what if we thought about becoming great ancestors? You know, what if we thought about the things that go through people's heads on their deathbed? You know, sorry to go right there and go 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 deep on this, but I think it's important. We look back and we say, we wish we had been truly more generous, right? We wish we had spent more time with the people that we loved. We wish we had professionally done what we were most passionate about. So, so maybe the word generosity uh, can, can be tainted in that egoic sense of, oh, I'm just being nice. Maybe we do need to think of it as more of an obligation, um, more of part of an actual system of cause and effect. It's not an option. It's not optional. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm part of the Jewish community. I work for a Jewish organization. We try to reinterpret I'm part of a, the creative, the creative branch of the of the Jewish community, I'd like to think. And we like to reinterpret a lot of our scriptures and texts to, to be really relevant and, and, and interesting in our times. And, you know, there's a piece uh, many times, but um, but I, I don't need to quote chapter and verse to you. But in the book of Leviticus, um, God says that if you don't create a world based on loving your neighbor and loving the stranger and pursuing justice and peace, the world won't work. There'll be environmental crisis. The rain won't fall. The sun won't shine. The earth won't yield produce. Humans and animals will be in great trouble. So that might seem simplistic. Oh, you know, that's not, that's not how it works. That's just religion trying to scare us, trying to control us. But that's just fantasy, right? But it does work that way. It's built into the structure of the universe. We need to care for each other. If we don't, the earth won't yield produce. Humans and animals will be in great trouble. So there's a sense of obligation here where generosity isn't an an optional, voluntary, hey, I'm being nice. It's our duty, right? And and because we we need this social benefit sector. Government's not doing it. The corporations aren't going to do it. So, and and we're in this field because we believe in philanthropy. We believe that this is a necessary part of what it means to be human and live in a society. Necessary part, right? It's not just nice to do. Um, and when these when our organizations grow, there are certain growth stages, right? We know about from startup to more of a second tier organization that scales its work uh, in in whatever way. 
And, and there can be that kind of growth that's, that's very healthy. Uh, my organization, Jewish Studio Project, right now is, is working on expanding to regions all around the country from our roots in, in the Bay Area and in Berkeley. Um, we want to do that in a really healthy way. And the point of that is because we feel that our mission is needed um, and that it has something to offer the communities uh, that, that we're expanding into. So, um, so I think that we, we do need to rethink that, um, that way of, of hearing the word generosity um, as, you know, as, as, as a, a ego stroke that, um, you know, corporations uh, and nonprofits can, can, can manipulate their donors. By the way, Jason, we can't manipulate our donors. You know, as Lisa Greer says, I've seen her on, on, your, on your page many times. I read her book. Yes. Great book. Um, Lisa Greer says, donors aren't stupid. People aren't <laughs> stupid. Can't treat them like they're stupid. Right. We, we can't manipulate them. Oh, you're so generous. Right. No, they want to know what we're doing. Uh, be inspired by what we're doing. Have the case made. And because we are obligated to support each other and care for each other, our realm of, of choice and, and option is about where we put our energy. So we need to educate each other, support each other, inspire each other. We can't manipulate each other. We're just fooling ourselves. Yeah, I like to think that Lisa and I are on, on each side of so so let's let's use the gift exchange, the exchange of a gift, right? Um, as it relates to professional fundraising. I like to think that Lisa and I are sort of playing similar roles on each side of the exchange, her on the donor side and me on the fundraiser side, because we're both we're both sort of um, you know, sounding the alarms on uh on some of the things that we very similarly see. Um she's on the she's she's on the podcast uh uh, with me later this afternoon with a with with a friend from, that who hails from the donor advised fund world. But before I let you go, Adam, I, I wanna I wanna go back to um, forgive me the the last name Roman the the gentleman who wrote the Good Ancestor the book you referenced earlier. Ah, uh, yes, that's Ari Wallach, W A L L A C H. That's called Long Path. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so we're talking about two different. So there's another author who wrote a book called The Good Ancestor, The Radical Prescription. Uh-huh. This is a book that I read. It's interesting that, that, that there's this, there's a this similar theme in these two authors' books. So sure. a book that I read, I, I had to pull it up as we were talking. It's, it's on my Kindle. Um, it's called The Good Ancestor, A Radical Prescription for Long-Term Thinking. And, um, and woven into that, and I suspect in the book that you're reading, Adam, there, there's some of this language as well as this idea of cathedral thinking. And cathedral mm-hmm. thinking is that idea that we build something, that we're invested in something for which any one individual during their tenure or their lifetime won't necessarily see the, uh, the accomplishment of. Um, and, and I think that that gets us back to being able to differentiate between marketplace and gift thinking as well, because a lot, you know, when I think about uh, the way that traditional capital campaigns are run, for example, they're very much orchestrated in such a way where somebody gets credit, uh, you know, somebody gets a really big pat on the back, you know, in a very short term period, you know, for accomplishing something. And I have said to some of my clients, I say, you know, it's one thing for a donor to give you a million dollars. It's another thing for your donors to understand that you're building cathedrals, that you're building something for which no individual's ego can get the benefit of. Um, And and that's what they call, uh, that's what some of these authors, similar authors, I I think they're all speaking the same message 
uh, yours and mine, um, this idea of long-term thinking. Yes. And it's intimately related with, with the concept of the gift, um, uh, to, 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 to close off here, uh, Jason, I, w- I want to just tell you very, very quick, another story from the Jewish tradition where there was an old man, um, and, and a young man came along and saw the old man planting carob trees and knew that these carob trees take decades and decades to grow. And he said, old man, what are you doing? And the old man said, just as my ancestors planted for me, so I am planting for the future, right? We think of the future as a noun, the future. Not at all. The future is a verb. We're building it. We are futuring. We are investing in the future when we think about uh, generosity, when we think about the gift. Because the more we give, the more we will have. Yeah, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to tear, I'm not even going to try to, I'm just going to say, Adam, if there's somebody listening, profound, very profound, Adam, if there's somebody listening to our conversation today who wants to follow up, perhaps just on that, even just on that last very profound, eloquent um, story there, if if they want to follow up, how would you suggest that they do that? They, they want to reach out to Adam. How would you suggest that they do that? Yeah, absolutely. Most welcome. You can find me on LinkedIn, right? <laughs> uh, Adam Scher on, uh, on LinkedIn. And uh, my email address, feel free to email me. It's just adam at jewishstudioproject.org. And if you're interested in the organization, www.jewishstudioproject.org. And I'm happy to talk with anybody about that work. And certainly more broadly, uh, we can just kind of chop it up and, and go deep together. Uh, for the sake of our listeners, we'll make sure to put some information about several of the books, or about all the books that we referenced in this conversation, those that Adam referenced and I did as well. Adam, it's certainly been a pleasure. You're always welcome back. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for all, all, all the good work you're doing. Have you read the book that nonprofit leaders and fundraising professionals alike are calling a must read? In this pocket manifesto for today's fundraising professional, Jason deconstructs why many of us find ourselves working for organizations where we cannot accomplish our goals. These same organizations are notorious for rapid turnover and high donor attrition. To avoid this all too familiar path, Jason offers direction from those who want to be recognized and admired for their work. The war for fundraising talent, challenges are ingrained beliefs and assumptions about how effective fundraising really works, and it questions the prevailing wisdom hiring decisions and donor behavior. Published by Gatekeepers Press, The War for Fundraising Talent is now available on Amazon and other major retailers. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the Fundraising Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show and hope you will come back for next week's interview, where we will discuss with those on the front line who are defining what it means to be a fundraising professional. If you'd like to be a guest on the Fundraising Talent Podcast, visit our Facebook page or email Jason at jason at lewisfundraising.com. In your email, be sure to tell us about where you work and why you believe you would be a great addition to the upcoming lineup. Thank you again for joining us today, and we look forward to you being a part of the continuing conversation as we shape how the nonprofit sector thinks about fundraising talent.